So, AJ. Yes, Nathan. Did I ever tell you how um, my longest-running D&D game started? I don't think you ever did, no. Well, it was running for about three or four years, now I think about it, and um, it started after I'd joined some societies at university and was looking at my old D&D world and books and feeling sad about not running any games. And I didn't really know anyone who wanted to play, so I put a post up in a public group that, you know, was for the society that was very nerdy. It wasn't the RPG society, but it was a it was a different LARPing one. And various people responded with enthusiasm, and I looked at the people I knew and asked, found out who had a house and interest and what their backgrounds were. And uh, we agreed a time and a place to meet. So uh, I had some people, but uh, we still hadn't decided what the campaign was going to be. Four years later, of course, these people would finish the game by ascending some of their player characters as gods and having a massive lasting impact on the world. But uh, at the time we started, I didn't really know them. So I approached with uh, a thing that I think people need to consider more. And, that's, and what we had was a session zero. And let me tell you, that was just the start of us rolling for some shenanigans. Oh, shit. I guess I need to. to make that anecdote um, exciting and I think session zero is something that people um, know they should do and don't really know what it is and yeah. it's, it's worth mentioning at this point because uh, Tasha's is out now as we record this. Um, we record quite a long way in advance um, is, so... it, is it out? Because I haven't it... received anything. Wizards, Wizards has blocked my email now I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. I've got the nice fancy collector's edition like I do for all my books uh, I've got a cease and desist <laughs> but uh, in Tasha's guide, they actually include some information on a session zero, which which I appreciate because I think the DMG is very good, but it doesn't go into that kind of detail. And this is going to be the first of several podcasts, and not necessarily the next one will be another session zero podcast because we just kind of do what we feel like on this. Yeah, don't 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 give away that we've got no fucking clue, mate. <laughs> but I think. A lot of what they talk about in Session Zero, they talk about social contracts and house rules, and they talk about party formation and stuff. And I think this uh, podcast we've named Gathering Your Party, because we're talking about two strands of the social contract and the Session Zero. How do you choose the players? Um, because I mentioned last week, the reason I think my games go very long is because I make some choices about the people that play at my table. And number two, how do you communicate to your players what kind of characters it is It is and it is not appropriate to play? So much of what we're about to discuss will change depending on your circumstance. So, for example, most of my longest-running games have been private games. I mean, I will run D&D for nearly anybody, but I get some friends, they gather around the table... And we play, you know, a campaign or a couple of sessions or a one-shot or whatever we've agreed to play. And I run the game and it's all very good. But what 
uh, you were saying uh, when we before we started recording is most of your games came out of the RPG society at your uni and yes I have also done some adventurers league games very rarely but I have filled in for a couple of um, people at local game stores when their adventurers league GMs have not been around so why don't you talk about how you think how that might require a slightly different approach if you're if you don't know the players at all, or if you're doing it in some kind of public space. Well, yeah. One of the things I have to say on that is that it is a very different kettle of fish. Because, obviously, I didn't start running D&D games until I came to university. You had been my first introduction to it as a player. And I think I've mentioned about how obnoxious I was at the time in the last gay, in the last uh, podcast. Then I went to university, and so I left the behind. And... As part of that, I joined up with the RPG Society, because you'd brought the itch to the surface, and I thought, I, I want to keep doing this. After about halfway through the year, we were playing this, this game system called Dungeon World, which I do not have positive uh, feedback on, but that's oh, possibly just like my it? grid. No, yeah. I wasn't that fussed by it. Interesting. Just not my cup of tea. And about, yeah, halfway through the year, I, I mentioned to the guy who was running the game that I'd be quite interested in starting, and he was kind enough to effectively let us alternate sessions, and... I was not very good at that point, but I have since improved and learned from mistakes. Since then, basically every year that I was at university, I was running a, a game with the RPG Society, which is a very different kettle of fish to running a home game in the sense of if you're running a home game, you've got chance to prepare. It's very likely you know people in advance. So I will compare and contrast uh, the game that I've had running the longest, which actually includes someone that I met as part of the RPG Society, mm -hmm. and who is in fact responsible for my first ever character death, and who I will still Aww. not let them live that down. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and the RPG Society itself. So with, with that home game that's been going on for ages, I had chance to meet the people in advance. It, it gives you that environment to know who you're dealing with, to get have that talk about what kind of thing they want to play beforehand, and to... Get, effectively gear your first few sessions towards the sort of thing they'd like and to start laying groundwork for other future plot threads. Whereas with the RPG Society, you have a deadline effectively. You know when the first session is going to be in which you need to have this effectively one-shot taster and you can you just get as many people playing as, you, as possible so that they've all got a chance to decide whether this is something they want to keep doing. And then the next week along, you've got a vague idea of who you've got, but you've only met them last week and you don't exactly know if all the same people are going to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's very possible that too many people for you to play with came along to that first one shot. As it was very much the case with me, I would be like, I don't want to be running a group of more than six people, but I will cap it at eight. And then I would end up having 10 or 11 people actually at the table each week. So you your your rules get very flexible very quickly and yeah yeah you kind of have to understand that you've got the first session over the upcoming week you find out what characters people have got and you kind of gear the first session arc around whoever gives you a the most the most interesting character and b gives you their character quickest because you've Which kind of got something yeah you've you kind of got absolutely... to hurry and go yes yeah, this. and you absolutely don't want to do that with a mm. home game, do you? Because then your favorite, you you you're giving favoritism to a specific person who probably is one of five or six people interested. Whereas with the RPG Society, it has to be that kind of scrum, first come, first serve. Because yeah. you could have twelve or sixteen people, and you can't wait wait on 
John to finish his 15, you know, his character that's taken him many, many hours when you've got a good solid six people who are already there. Or you've got a biology doctorate uh, student in your group and you know that they're interested, but they will probably have about five minutes in total throughout the week to actually put their character document together, that sort of thing. And the other very different aspect to consider is that with a one-shot game, well, not with, with a society game, you very much do have to leap straight into the character documents, characters, character-driven stories, and you also have to go in with the acknowledgement that not everyone's character will necessarily get a full shake of, of exploration in the story. Because, as I said, when you've got like 10, 9, 11 people in a group and you know that this game has to come to a conclusion by the end of the academic year, there is just not enough time to go into everyone's character. And you will effectively do shallow dives rather than a deep dive. Whereas by comparison with my other group that is still ongoing, Mm -hmm. we've been playing for years. We've had chance to explore everyone's characters at gradual paces and introduce elements that they can get invested in. And... Yet, despite that, one of them still hasn't given me a backstory for their character. I repeat, yes. you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's something worth mentioning, that sometimes in Session Zero, ideally you want everything, but it, it, at the end of the day, it's not going to stop you playing the game if you don't get everything. I mean, backstories... I think some a piece of advice I would talk about in terms of gathering your party and session zero and this is advice i have only recently thought of and haven't really had chance to implement yet is give them a format for your how you want their backstory tell them you know if you're going to do a backstory i would like this i would like you know two or three paragraphs no more than a page or say make it as long as you like just you know rolling pros please or say bullet points and make that form be whatever you need and tell them they can keep whatever notes they want on their backstory you know they if they you know want to talk about stuff because if it comes up in the campaign for example recently we've had a big deep dive arc in my home game on my half sea elf rogues backstory um for for one of my players who's playing this half sea elf rogue and the storyline kicked off with this rival who we've seen before and is in his backstory kidnapping his mother for uh, dubious reasons that I won't get into. But, you know, I had a decent backstory from him, but I very quickly realised I've no idea what his mother is called or what <laughs> she's like. And yeah. while I could make up that NPC, I just said, you, you know... Kind of want to involve, you kind of want to involve... Yeah, I shot him a text being like, what's your mother like? Yeah. For, and, and, and... Tell let us about me, your mam and your character, te- ma'am. Yeah. One thing, one thing I do want to just say that is a bit off topic is it will never get old for me <laughs> uh, sending ominous texts like that yeah. to players. Just being like, by the way, for no particular reason, what's Same. your mother like? <laughs> um, I for, for, no, for no obvious reason, do you have any dependents? Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you completed your last will and testament? <laughs> yeah, do you have a will? Um, but, but Session Zero, in my case, in the anecdote I was telling, what ended up happening is we all gathered around the table. Um, I'd sent some documentation out, you know, being like, to my players, just, if you're keen, read through this. If you're not keen... Don't give a shit about it. Like, it's fine. 
Mm. Um, and a lot of them had read it and digested it, but some of them hadn't. It was all fine. It was all chill. And I'd asked all of them beforehand, you know, what's your experience with D&D 5th edition? Because that's what we were playing. Um, and, you know, one of them said, I've got this idea for a character. I'm not going to make it until session zero, but, you know... I know what I'm going to do. I just need to yeah. go through the books and do it. And then another person said, I've literally never played. I've played other RPGs, but I've never played 5th edition. Please help. Because at the time, 5th edition was quite new. Like, it had only been out a few months as a full release. So it wasn't like, you know, I was expecting them to be yeah. super up on it. Um, not like now when it's been out years. And they've got no the... bloody excuse. <laughs> uh, but the And then, you know, there was all kinds of levels in between that. Yeah, and you know they discussed things with each other, and it was very useful to have them all make their characters together because the newest player, uh, the person who had never done it before, it was decided you know she should pick a character archetype she liked, and then the other players, if if their character concepts were sort of treading on her toes, they'd move around it, and that was just a decision that came out of the communal group. I'm not recommending that as a absolute rule or anything because sometimes new players can be totally paralyzed by choice and prefer to slot into the party yeah. um i think a very very often with the new groups and new parties they focus on party balance in a way that you don't after you've been playing the game a long time like you know in at the start of my Shadowrun game, they were very keen to cover all the roles that Shadowrun says you might need. Yeah. But now we've been playing for a bit and a couple of them have switched characters and uh, a new player has joined. Their uh, party loadout does not look remotely like it should. Um, there are two majors, a hacker and a street sam. So it's still, it's still fine, but it's not, you know, like it started when they were being very strict about what their roles were and not yeah. to get in, in each other's way. One of the things I always do when I'm, pre when I'm preparing a group is I just, is I just say, play what you want to play. For mm. some people that will be a case of, they genuinely find it more enjoyable to try and balance out the party. And in some cases it will just be people going, this is what I want to play. This is what I've not played before. or This is what I always play. And this is what they're going to do. And so that's how you get uh, concert gr groups like the ones that I've currently got, where like my older on-running group is reasonably balanced with a rogue, a wizard, a ranger, and a barbarian. You've got your tank, you've got your dex range, you've got your spellcaster. But on the other hand, you've got my uh, you've got my my newer group, my other smaller group, which is very much a, a paper bag soaked in gasoline. <laughs> Um, it's one but of the reasons getting... I usually say that just build build what you want and we'll work on it. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Certainly from a mechanical perspective, especially with new players, um, I think there's a lot of advice that goes around being like, oh, fighter is a good new person class. And it's like, oh, that's true. But to that, my group that previously was had started at like level 10 has one person who's relatively new to to D D who had played once or twice in a different group of mine at a lower level and they they their partner was uh, very experienced and then we had one other person who was playing for the first time bar having heard things in advance uh, heard podcasts and and things like that mm. in advance uh, the the first of those was playing an artificer and was it and the game started at level ten and the second of those was playing a wizard and joined at level thirteen, so not <laughs> yeah. inherently classes or levels that would be considered very welcoming to new players, but 
they enjoyed it. You just have to have that little extra degree of patience to make sure everything's clearly explained and you're working through everything. But just because people's inexperienced doesn't mean they're idiots. You get, no, so as they've got a um, chance to understand how the mechanics work, they'll, they'll yeah, have a much better time can, if they're playing something. And I'm very much a fan of teaching new players by emergent gameplay. With mm. a new person, I'll be like, how much do you want to go into this? And, and this is why Session Zero is really useful, because you can... You know, in the session zero I've been using as an example, I sat with that new player and we talked through each element of character building while a lot of the others worked on things and a couple of them that were new to D&D 5th edition but relatively confident and um, happy with the system in general would just occasionally shout over a question about the world or uh, how something worked just to check that they understood it correctly. Uh, or if I, you know, had a particular preference about whether they rolled for stats or not. Or, mm. But one one sort of element I want to caution is, uh, we're not saying by that that anything goes. Because yeah. any character race class conversation mechanically is fine by me. Any Anyone can pretty much play anything unless it doesn't suit the world, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Usual terms and conditions apply. <laughs> but you should have a discussion about the tone of the campaign, ideally before making characters, because backstory elements might upset people. Um, some stuff might not be appropriate. And it doesn't even have to be... I think when you talk about boundaries and limits and things like that, people think about dark elements yeah. like, uh, let's say, you know, I've had a character in a game it was really interesting um but they were a trans character whose parents had not approved of them becoming a wizard to be able to change their body to reflect how they felt now that was something that definitely had to be discussed beforehand because yes. we didn't want to make people uncomfortable and if other people hadn't been happy with that narrative potentially being explored that was a thing that's worth discussing but there are lighter parts to it as well that's also worth talking about. Mm. Um, for example, are you going to allow power gaming? You know, at the at the table, like the table I was at when, for the example, there was someone who I would now describe as the anti-power gamer. He he makes characters he finds funny using <laughs> needlessly specific restrictions, and I adore that. I was going to say, um, I think I know who you're referring to, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I fully respect that. That is that yeah. is a mood. There was another player who just, he, he wasn't like a power gamer munchkin in the negative version of that archetype, but he did naturally see combinations and like to play powerful characters. And then, you know, there was everyone being at where I think most people are, which is they want their character to be effective and work, but they um, aren't going to crunch every number in every book ever to find, you know be like, oh, I'm taking three levels of this and then two levels of this and then I'm mm. going to go back to, you know, my third multi-class and I'm going to take this option out of this book. They're not going to do that. They just want a broadly acceptable character that works. Yeah. And they, they that was probably one of the most controversial discussions we had in that session zero because everyone had quite radically different opinions um, and we settled on a nice middle ground. We were happy for the two power gamers there to make their power gamey characters. But they had to acknowledge that stuff wouldn't be balanced for that massively and the rest of the party weren't going to make... Mm. You know, I wasn't prepared to put encounters that way because the rest of the party 
were going to be like that. Yeah, but if, they if, should if, also if, expect. If you've got power gamers that are that are expecting the game to be geared towards them, then everyone has to power game or lose their yeah. or potentially risk dying. Yes, and I said, you know, it's not going to be like that. You might find that you overrun certain things and it's not challenging, or you might find that I create encounters very specifically designed to hurt your characters because in general they don't get hurt a lot and they were fine with that mm. and you know um it it was all fun and interesting and equally i think tone is important in discussing are you going to allow comical silly characters are you are you the kind of gm and is this the kind of game where if i turn up with a character name that's a pun you're going to go how dare you or is this the kind of game where you're going to go Yep, well, you can expect NPCs to be as that stupidly named as well. And, you know, I've run both. Potentia, my main campaign setting, is quite serious in contrast to my general DMing style. It kind of amazes me that that's my biggest uh, world in a lot of ways. Because... And yet you still let me turn up there with a wizard, a tabaxi wizard called Perlin. Yeah, I let <laughs> Perlin show up. Uh, that was in one of the less serious games, yeah. though. And I also um, am constant... Uh, Lee, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, tavern pun names like the Rush Inn, but um, you know it's still generally quite a serious game. The the villains are evil. It's the kind of world where I'm not going to have cartoony villains that won't hurt you. Like you know, these are the villains that would kill a child. Um, you know that kind of thing. Uh, and I think it's important the players understand that and understand that I'm expecting their characters to respect some of the lore of the game. Like, I'm happy to bend it to make their characters work. You know, every rule has an exception and I'm happy for my players to play the exception. But I don't want them flat out ignoring and making a character that is just an average Joe, but has all of these weird things that don't otherwise occur in my world and my lore. Frankly, if in session zero you end up in massive arguments with someone over this, you've got to look at whether you yeah. two are going to get on in a long-running campaign. You know, if someone is just saying, you know, let's say I haven't allowed Asimar in my game, and someone's going, no, I refuse to not play an Asimar, we'll go, I, I don't think GM should be scared of going well, I'm sorry, you can't really play that character in this game, and if you can't think of another character you'd like to play... Uh, but don't be, you know, don't be too stubborn. Don't, See, don't be a you dick. Know, yeah, one. go, well, Asimar don't really exist because gods aren't in this setting, but here's something that kind of works with that kind of character class, or here's something we could do. Your, your uh, job don't... is to be consistent with your rules, but also to facilitate their fun. You are yeah, trying to be exactly. that, that middle ground bridge. So it's not just about saying, no, you can't play that. It's more about saying, I understand what you want to play. Rules as written, that's not permitted. But here's something that is comparable, equivalent, something that's more fitting with the realm that could still fit that idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... It's like uh, one of my players, one of my player characters in the other group, in the high level group, one of, they, one of the previous characters was a one-shot paladin who originally was a changeling, a shifter, I, I think it was. Yeah, it was a changeling as a racial trait. And this was before Volo's Guide to Monsters came out, when the character first came along. When their character, their original character retired and they decided they wanted to, to move on to another one, they decided to just pick that character back up. But a limited, only a limited number of the racial features had come up. So we had a bit of a discussion and decided... 
based on the backstory you've given, it kind of sounds like Asimar actually works a bit better for this. So I gave him the, that option of changing that around to try and facilitate what best fits his concept. And so when they when they finally remet the character, rather than being this changing pal- paladin, this was an Asimar paladin. Yeah, and I want to say Session Zero is an interesting one because almost everything you discuss in it will change over time. Mm-hmm. The nature of the game, you know... That long-running campaign I had, a couple of the players had to drop out. Um, we had a new player join us. So, you know, they'd obviously joined the campaign midway through. And I think a player joining a campaign midway through can expect they're going to have to conform to the group. Yeah. Uh, you know. There's um, already a set dynamic or a set understanding. Yeah. And I feel no shame in saying, when I've run games for people, I keep at least a mental note of what they act like in the game I've run. So uh, I allow a lot more allowances for things that I don't want generally towards new players because they don't understand the same way that they are being difficult or that they are being problematic. And I consider the circumstances as well. Um, For a a uni thing, a a uni-like podcast I did, a student podcast I did, um, we did recorded a D&D game with some people from the Improv Comedy Society and that... The behaviour in that game is not something I would encourage in a private game that happens on the regular, because we were trying to be entertaining. So I allowed a lot more interruption of me and other players than normal, because generally it was for the purposes of cracking a joke, and these people understood each other in a performance capacity quite well. They knew when someone was cutting in and talking over them, it wasn't like it could be in a private game where someone is just overruling someone. Um, And one piece of advice, actually, um, because it's something I thought a lot about about this podcast, um, is sadly D&D can be often dominated by white men, I say, as one of the two white men on this podcast. We are the the perfect demographic to talk about diversity. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm, I'm (laughs) I'm hoping we're getting some people on the podcast and some guests in future episodes that will make this podcast a bit more diverse and they can yeah. talk about things. But I did just want to say a big problem I've noticed in D&D is your male players talking over your female presenting players. Mm. And if you're the GM, keep an eye out for it and don't let it happen. And that is another thing to discuss in Session Zero is how you want the table to play out and how you want things to work and don't be afraid by the way to be the as the gm be the person who concedes and lets some of the terms be dictated to them because an initial thing that i kind of said that i definitely reneged on in after a while seeing how good these players were at role-playing because they all had some role-playing experience was initially i i usually don't let side conversations happen in my games because uh, one thing I really hate is combat start. You know, I'm I'm narrating stuff and moving miniatures around and and having to keep track of loads of stuff. And I come to a player's turn and they are like, "Oh, uh, I'd like to attack this bad guy." It's like, "Well, that bad guy was killed in you know so and so's turn." Oh, not paying where am I now? Yeah, like you pay some attention. But these people were very good at. When I was narrating something or explaining something to a player, because a problem I have as a GM, which will be very evident on this podcast, is quite often I will, someone will make a skill check and I will give a very lengthy explanation of what that has 
has clued them in, explaining, you know, and I can't, I'm bad for this for knowledge and insight roles in particular. I will, I will give very detailed descriptions of what that insight role means. It's like, you feel as though this person believes the truth, but there is some element of doubt and they're hiding, you know, I will go into that and that's quite boring for the people trying not to overhear this information because they don't know how much of it will be shared with them. So they would have side conversations and things and plan things. And in combat, you know, two of them might talk to each other to coordinate their moves while someone else is taking their turn. And that improved the flow of the game quite a lot. And, you know, they asked me about this in session zero, I seem to remember. And I said, mm, well, we can try it. I might change my mind about it. And we tried it and it worked. But had I been the sole authority, and I could have put my foot down, don't get me wrong. I'd have said, no, you can't do that. And I would have never realised that really it, fil uh, it made our games move much swifter because that group started out as quite a large group. So things, things like that, anything you can think of that comes up and, you know, make a note and never be afraid that what you said in session zero changes and never be afraid to have the kinds of discussion you have in se session zero with your players and party if you need to down the line. If something comes up and someone communicates that they're not happy with something or you, you know, you very swiftly realize you're about to introduce an element which you never discussed, just ask them. If you, you know, and make sure you're selecting players where you can that you can have these discussions with. And I and I kind of want to move on to now where to discussing the RPG Society and Adventurers League games because obviously we couldn't have these discussions. So how does your approach change in regards to the stuff I've just mentioned in terms of character building and uh, limits and you know things you're happy with? Because I don't I know my um, RPG Society at Durham uh, when I filled in games there. Uh, they had a few like house rules about things that weren't they they were perfectly happy for if you met some people and went home you could have those in your game but they were not to be played in the open in the space at the time they had created for games playing so in terms of <clears throat> character creation for like the rpg society that one is as I say, we kind of it is kind of just a a one week turnaround. I'll always be paying attention and and asking for feedback as things go along. I, I usually want mm -hmm. people to send me a character document in advance in all circumstances, so I can have a look at it, make sure everything's in order and they haven't made any mistakes, uh, give them any advice that I need, and usually make sure I've got a written record of what their character document is. And I'll my usual situation whenever I receive that is I'll have a look through it and I'll think of a few questions that I need to ask off the back of that. Not you sometimes it's just correcting things and being like this doesn't quite work in the setting, so these are the things that you need to think about in relation to that for how you would get to this point that you want to be at. Or so I notice you've mentioned this family. What's your dynamic with them? What's your relation with them like? How has that shaped you and stuff mm. like that? Bringing up your point about how was how's your man? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to a certain extent it is kind of just getting a sense of what kind of character they're planning to play and what kind of tone of character they're wanting to play. Whether whether they're going to be something quite daft or quite serious. With my colony group, the one that's currently that I've mentioned before at this colony with the harpies, there's a there's a remix of players. My my usual way of describing a lot of my players is a bunch of utter chucklefucks, but 
it's an accurate description <laughs> but there is among this party there are some ser- serious ones there's like a gnomish wizard who is use- using their doctorate to develop a whole new school of wizardry there is uh this warforged sorcerer who was, was recently woken up and is not very familiar with the environment who's a new introduced character and then there is and then there's the characters that are playing a bit less serious like this kobold gunslinger who they're playing a kobold they are using that as an kind of as an as an angle to be this very chaotic experience there's this tabaxi uh, monk who is i believe the phrase horny on main would uh, <laughs> fill would be would be fitting and uh then there's the druid, who, if I if I explain that the name they've chosen for her is Mary Current, that should explain everything. They've they've they have they have very definitely gone for the slightly less daft aspect, and you kind of want to use that as an idea of how you're wanting to balance the game moving forward. Like with that one, I like to make a bit more of a. I like to make sure that whatever I'm doing, the game has a serious core. It has this actual meaningful story that they can get invested in. But that doesn't mean the nece- that necessarily the beats all have to be serious down to a theater. Take the Marvel movies for example. They can, they're they're cheap fast food films they have they have funny elements but at the at the very core the story itself is not a joke the story itself is a serious thing even if even if there's quips that coming out of your asshole as it as it goes along Mm. you it's it's kind of similar in that aspect you've got the players the players bring the personality to the world i'm just setting the problems in front of them and letting them seeing how they react and bounce off that and use that and that leads to all sorts of things ranging from uh the wizard getting a serious sense of panic and guilt at the prospect that they might have been the one to bring about the current crisis that the colony is facing on one end of the spectrum and on the other end of the spectrum, the fact that I've made a dark bargain because the druid has decided that they are adopting this piglet that they've rescued, and they are taking this piglet everywhere they go, and as such, I have threatened that I will be increasing the threat to the piglet and bring, bring that under pressure. But if they get to the end of this first current arc and the piglet has survived, I will give it a level in Barbarian. <laughs> you've that's, the, that's you've kind of just got to use the character building as a read almost on what tone you want to strike and what kind of aspects these players are going to be bringing to it yeah. whereas with the RPG society stuff given you've got that short turnaround you very much kind of have to do that on the fly which is kind of what's informed me on that way of approach you kind of just go here's the plot I'm going to tell I might try and pick elements of the of the most interesting backstory to guide it, but I'm going to have a broad idea of what story I'm going to tell from day one, or at least the first two sessions to start leading me in that direction. And I have a full idea of the setting, I know what problems I'm going to put in their path, and I'm just going to wait and see how they respond to them, and over time I'm just going to adjust it depending on what aspects they pick up on what how they respond to things you've kind of got to be a lot more fluid when you're playing in that more limited area if you've got the chance to have that session zero you really can build things up a lot a lot more you, you can understand the kind of tones you're going to want to build and you can fine tweak as you go uh no with with, with an rpg starter you've you've seen wallace and gromit you're right yeah the the yeah. wrong trousers it's the rail tracks yeah where you're just going why am I doing the hand gestures? This is an audio medium. <laughs> you're, you're you're laying out the, you're laying out the tracks of the train as it thunders forward at high speed, just trying to stop you from crashing into things. But it's yes, it's, yeah. it's 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 an enjoyable experience, but it's you kind of have to know what you're getting into and 
be ready to have proper communication with your players if it seems like there's something that they're not enjoying or they're not getting along with because ultimately everyone's here to, everyone's here to have fun you want to make sure that, that no one's missing out on stuff and you've also got to bear in mind that from week to week you're not going to get a full group as every now and then people have university commitments that they can't necessarily come along that means they can't necessarily come along that week and they will only be and they won't tell you in advance buses or trains are late and so people get delayed before arriving and you know you've only got a limited time before you get kicked out of the room or people just aren't as invested there's a lot of elements you have to really be quite fluid with that mm. that having your home group and having this established route of communication can be really helpful for yes definitely um and We've talked a lot about what you want to discuss and how to, and and the kind of feeling a session zero should have. Ultimately, a session zero is going to be very dictated by the GM and the players. But what do you consider green and red flags in players? What what's the kind of thing which because um, a, a big thing a, a thing I really like and uh, that has happened to me recently is a friend of mine is trying to run a Dragon Age RPG game. Now I quite like the Dragon Age games, but I've I've never played the tabletop RPG. Um, and she put out a thing saying, "Hey, I'm gonna do the Dragon Age game. Never GM'd it before, so I'm going to do a one shot to get my eye in, and then possibly a longer running campaign that will be relatively short, but still many sessions." I really like this post as a way of player recruitment because it gives me all the information I, I want. The session will be in. Uh, they included some details about what kind of things they'd like to do, and they asked other people to add. If you're interested, can you kind of say why you're interested in the Dragon Age RPG? What elements? Because you know, there's a lot of stuff in that setting to talk about. That it gave me, and I think, an understanding of the type of commitment you're expecting of your players. Um, I'm very clear that I will pretty much always run each week. And if there are players that are absent, which happen, will happen in the life of a long-running campaign, how many players need to be able to not make it before I'm cancelling or rearranging something? Mm. A friend of mine has a rule of N-1, i.e. he will run for until there are two people who can't make it. Unless, you know, there are some extenuating circumstances that mean that that doesn't really matter. Like, if the party's split and only one half of it can make it, well, we'll just run it for the half that is there. Then what happened was, once me and several other people had expressed our interest, she messaged us all privately to kind of say, what are you interested in? This is, you know, and started discussing things and made it very clear on the post that it wasn't going to be first come, first serve, and just because you'd commented there didn't mean you were getting a spot because... Yeah. I have seen, among my friends that play RPGs, I've got a decent friendship circle now, which definitely means interest in a game will exceed play, you know, player spots in, a, in most of the games I run. And I think a lot of my friends post these, usually on some kind of social media, often Facebook, but whatever, or say out loud, I'm going to run this, sign up. And then they go, oh shit, there's loads of people yeah. now, I don't know what to do. Mm. Just be very clear from the start, expressing interest is not the same thing as you may play this game. Because you, I think generally now, because of the popularity of the hobby, 
we're in a very nice position as GMs where there will be more interest than you can perhaps accommodate for. And don't hence be... RPG society getting 10 or so people every year. Yeah, and don't be afraid to say, my maximum number is this. I will not be pushing it. And really, don't be tempted to go, oh, well, it's just one more person. Yeah, that's one of the big because... problems I had at the RPG Society, because it's it's very much that case of you want to include as many people as possible, because people are people have come along to try this out for the first time, and it's you as a society, there is kind of that pressure to give everyone inclusion, which is why I did always start with, I don't want to go more than eight, and then always did. As much as I found it hilarious, it was also it also has that effect. It adds stress, yeah. and, and it means that you go, you know, once you go beyond eight to the Nine, you're thinking, ah, well, I could do, I could do ten next time, yeah. and 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 it creeps and up until you're doing three or four bunch. more. Yeah, and another thing I want to say is to both players and the GMs, rejecting someone doesn't mean they're a horrible, awful person who mm. you never want to play a game with. There are some people who I really like and I really like running games for, but I wouldn't include with groups of other people just because it would swing the game one way or another. Um, you know. The RPG group I was speaking of that I've been referring to as doing this session zero, one thing that uh, we discussed was, are we okay with PvP? And everyone gave a resounding yes. And that player versus player conflict would come to define that campaign for three or four years. It has by far the highest body count of any of my games, quite simply because people would... Uh, refuse to cooperate with other players and leave the party. Often they would stab each other, and not infrequently, when a fight was going one way, a player would go to the bad guy, if I help you kill these guys, will you keep me alive? <laughs> the bad guy would go, yes, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Is he lying? No? Excellent. Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> I couldn't include in that group someone who doesn't like player versus player stuff now. Like me. Uh, yeah. I would not be Are a good you... fit for that group. I'm yeah, you, you, I, I, I happily would run games for you. And I, there are even some individuals in that group who, if you said, we can't do PvP in this game, or I don't want PvP in this game, they would go, yeah, fine, whatever, I'll restrain my natural tendencies to murder people. <laughs> um, I have more questions for them, quite frankly. What do you yeah. mean by natural tendencies, sir? Uh, and another game I played in recently had a brilliant... The, the way the GM phrased the Session Zero question of how much PvP do you want was brilliant because she said uh, there were three levels. There were no PvP ever. We will always get along. I'm fine with some PvP if it feels natural, and I intend to kill my bodies to power gain to the goal. <laughs> yeah, like, you I, know, I'm, more, I, I'm more comfortable with that second option there because I don't want to rule it out personally as a player, but I, if if nothing else, what I'm looking for in a game is, is far more of that cooperative kind of element yeah. rather than an inherently competitive game yeah and and so when i mean red flags what when do you know in a session zero or when do you know at that stage even before session zero when you're talking because by session zero you should know that you're relatively comfortable with the people playing at least in a home game what you know you put out a post saying come join my game, and then you talk to a few people, how do you realise that someone's maybe someone you don't want to have in the game, or maybe will conflict with someone you definitely do want to have in a game? What things stand out to you? For me, I've not really had that problem myself, fortunately, in that both, all the groups that we've got, so all the groups that I've got running on the regular are people who are already this 
inherently re- relatively close group of friends. One of the groups was this this old house group previously. So they've all they'd all had experience living together. They all they all know each other's dynamic reasonably well. They've all had years to get on. The other group that I've got is basically just uh, the band I play in plus mm-hmm. another friend who is is lovely and as ever and everyone has got along with and so i kind of had this idea that he'd be quite a nice fit as well he's a he's a lovely guy and he's got this this sense of daft character he's the one who's playing mary current so i yeah, think I, it's yeah. it's the kind of vibe that was going to click with this group but i'm not very good at judging people very quickly so i in those cases i was just relying on the friendship group and the fact that they already have this yeah connection. i think you have to do that when you don't know them that well they know um, each other well enough that they can that outside of the game if they have any issues they can they will not be afraid to say i just want to step away from this or they can chat to each other and work stuff out if they're having trouble or they yeah. can come and talk yeah. to me with the rpg society in that circumstance it's very much a case of i've gotta just keep up keep my finger on the pulse at all time i don't know it is obviously hard to tell and i think you have to communicate clearly you just kind of got to accept, set expectations and yes understand definitely. that there is an agreement between the two of you which does kind of want bring me to one point i do want to raise at least briefly because i understand we're going on for a fair bit at this point but we've talked a yeah. lot about what uh, dm expects from the players we haven't really turned that around at all. We've it's been this has been very authority sided, if you will. It's been very much on yeah, the dynamic of what should, what a DM needs to enforce, what a DM needs to look for in their players. And while we could go into it in a lot more detail in a podcast in its own right, I feel we should at least address it in passing on this podcast on this one before we finish it. So, what do you believe? Uh, players should expect from their DM as part of that, or what kind of expectation should they bring in, and what sort of dynamic should they be asking for? Because you can't, it's a player in, uh, there is, as you mentioned, a social contract. A contract is not one-sided. There will be things that you that a player should be asking for or checking in and expecting from their DM. Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is the GM should be on time. Uh, the D, The GM... And this this is both something you as the GM should do because it will reinforce some expectations on the players and something the players have every right to expect from you. You turn up on time, you turn up prepared with all the stuff, and you make the sessions on time and communicate very clearly when a session is cancelled. All right, just at me next time. Yeah. I, I, I know we've joked about not really preparing, but you don't have the the lack of respect for your players to turn up with no idea and no interest in their characters. Know what they're... Like, you know, you might not have had time to do proper session notes like you would like, but know who your characters are, know what they're interested in, have kept notes of what happened. Mm. Don't, you know, be free to... And I think another expectation the players should have, they should expect the DM to be human and accept and acknowledge his mistakes or her mistakes. Their mistakes. Yeah, their mistakes. But, you know, if if you forget something that the players have or something, don't argue with them. Don't, like, you know, just go, oh, yep, sorry. Yep, you are correct. You the know, GM is um, fallible. Yeah, the GM is fallible. Um, I think the players have an expectation the GM will be fair. They, they may make rulings and try and be consistent with them. And, and I think this is a great thing to discuss in Session Zero. How do you deal with rules conflicts? Mm-hmm. Um, if the player thinks one thing, the GM thinks another, are you looking, Are you going to the book there and then? Are you going to say, are you going to have the GM go, well, I will rule it this way, we'll check later, which is often how I do stuff. And, you know, it's not always going to be the same way. And are you at the level of trust where 
everyone takes everyone at their word. You know, if the player who casts the spell says the spell works a particular way, does the GM assume they are correct unless they think otherwise or see otherwise in rules text? Um, you know, all things to consider and all approaches that you might employ across the life of a campaign or a game. But it's important to have that discussion. And I think the players have every expectation, whatever you choose, you are consistent with. If I say, we go with my rulings and then I will check them after the game, I don't want to just be seen to be arbitrarily looking it up. Or, or, or even worse, if I say we look it up every time and they go, no, it works this way, I don't care. Sometimes I might look it up, disagree with the rule and say, but I want to make it very clear to the players, I don't agree with how that rule is worded, therefore I'm minded to rule this way. Do you have objections? The GM is there the to facilitate fun. The, rule, yeah, the rules yeah, are naturally. there to provide structure, not a rod for your back. Yeah. And a reasonable challenge, an interesting story, you know, they, they they have the right to expect you to be interested in the characters they've made. Yeah. As, you, as we have discussed, it may not always be possible to give them all a fair shake and you should communicate that, but, mm. you know. One of the things I always did going into the to the RPG Society games was, was kind of acknowledging that I won't necessarily be able to go through everything in this time frame but i will still try and make an interesting game and i will still try and include you all yeah yeah anything you think the players should have the right to expect from a gm honesty and openness someone that's if you have that can if you have concerns someone you can actually raise them with and that's not going to just dismiss you out in hand and say no you're wrong so because whether or not you are in the right if you've got a concern it's indicative of some kind of either issue at the table or some mismanaged expectations so some the gm Mm. just has to be available to have discussions with and for players to go i'm not happy with this aspect of the game or this character can you or the can way you... this person's being yeah. or whatever and i think as a gm it's worth thinking about a policy of how you're dealing with that and this is something you don't have to openly communicate with your players because uh, some places transparency is good and in some places like when you're i'm going to tell a story now with keeping the names and individuals out and obscuring this as much as i can but there emerged an issue Um, in one of my games, whereby the players have been playing together perfectly happily, perfectly well for a long time. But one of the players found out about the actions of another player outside the game had gone contrary to what he found ethical and moral. He, He did not like what this person had done to some mutual friends. And he this player came to me being like, look, I'm just super uncomfortable with it. I don't, you know, want to make a big thing about it, but I don't think we can continue playing this role-playing game. It doesn't, you know, it's affecting my enjoyment of the game knowing this person is there. And I said, okay, fine. What do you want me to do about it? And I'm like, well, I, I do want to play the game. I'm not sure. I've come to you just kind of as a first resort. I'm not expecting you to kind of... First point of contact. ...referee our dispute. Mm. So I said, right. And I, I got them into a, a group together and I said, look, here is the situation. A doesn't want to play with B, and and I don't feel I don't know what is true about what has been said, but so far neither of you have done anything as players, you know, that would make me say you have to leave this table. So what I want you two to do is, as adults, decide who turns up on Sunday. Right? If both of you turn up. 
that is something you will have to deal with. And if both of you turn up and one of you wants to leave at that point, do it as least disruptively as possible. But ideally, I want the two of you to have made some agreement mm. on who is turning up and I will tell the rest of the group. Ideally, if you get chance to do this, communicate that with me and I will just tell the rest of the group that they, you know, you have... I'll tell them basically whatever you want them to tell, tell me, but uh, for some reason you are not playing. You've become too busy. No one will know, you know, that this dispute is the reason that doesn't already know, because, you know, they were all friends, they all talked. Mm. It wasn't like it was going to be a total secret, but it won't be, you know, the official reason. And they came to this discussion, and, and person B stepped back. They said, well, it's already something that is difficult for me to attend and I know that I'm leaving soon so I wouldn't want to stop person A and I don't want this to consume everything so they stepped back and, and the other person played and all was well and fine but uh, uh, you know that's just an example of the kind of thing you may have to deal with and having had a good session zero will lead the players to ex respect that openness yeah. and honesty and be able to allow you to have those difficult conversations with what frankly could have been a freaking explosive thing right like yeah. it could have happened at my gaming table in the middle of things with and lots of people point, taking that point sides the game kind of is tainted with the fallout yeah but it didn't happen it continued fine and well and and you know and and another thing this is another like thing to heart to consider in session zero and when you're recruiting players and i'm not saying never have people that are like this but um consider the fact that relationships sometimes end yeah so all i'm saying when you get players that are in a couple or you're playing with your significant other can just consider the relationship may end and consider how strong the relationship is before it kills a game yeah and maybe that's our conclusion after all of this rambling the point of session zero is that real life things that may affect your game don't end up destroying your game. This this topic got a lot heavier. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's it's probably... it's, we suddenly added a few kilograms at the very end. Yeah, this has been a lot more serious um, podcast generally than we often do, but, you know. Damn. Where's, Who, where's, who's where's, to someone, tie us someone down, man? Ogres, ogres in this as yeah. a joke. We need, we need something to... Levi we need some levity. We need some levity, damn it. Um... Yeah, go, on, go, on, go on, Nathan, you're the comedian. Tell us a joke to finish no, off well, the podcast. No, well, I've got a Session Zero-related funny thing in that I know several systems where you can die in character creation and that always makes Session Zero funny. <laughs> well, I, 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 I like the character you've made. Now roll up a new one. Your character trips on a rock on the way to the tavern and brains themselves. Next character! Well, it, it's, it's, as I understand it, it's that you take a certain magic and um, the deal with the devil you took to take that magic kills you before you get to play your character. But I've never understood why you wouldn't just generate another character that's suspiciously similar to that yeah. character. Because you've never played them. Uh, anyway... I think that's enough. Uh, that's enough discussion of session zero for us. Yeah. Um, all right. Say goodbye, AJ. Sarah, folks, and always remember: bardic inspiration only lasts one session. Bye.